All right, BFFs, um, we're talking this month and part of next month about building friendships that last a lifetime. Um, you can take your study guides and follow along uh, if you'd like. I will tell you, this is, uh, the, I've preached sermons for 16, whoa, almost 17 years. Is that right? That can't be right. Yeah, something like that. And this is the first time I've ever done a sermon series about friendship. And many people in the 930 service said, I've never heard a sermon about friendship, except when you were kids. And because when you were kids at vacation Bible school or Sunday school, they always told you how important it is to be a friend. And when you're a kid in kindergarten, like making friends and being a good friend is like top three priority up there with like learning to read, which is a pretty important thing, right? But they taught you not just that it's important to have friends, they taught you how to be a good friend which is important. Like they told you don't, you, know, you share your toys when you're a friend. You spend time together. You forgive your friends when they hurt your feelings. Uh, you know, you invest in your friends. That's, that's what you learn in kindergarten. I, I used to watch this show with my kids uh, called Yo Gabba Gabba. Anybody familiar in the room with Yo Gabba Gabba? Any Yo Gabba Gabba fans in the house? It is... It is great entertainment for children and their parents and uh, losers who live in their parents' basements and uh, uh, maybe do things they shouldn't. And uh, this, is, uh, this is quality entertainment uh, for people uh, of all stripes. But what I remember about friends on Gil Gabba Gabba was, uh, was this song. Uh, kids, you wanna help me out? Don't, don't, don't bite your friends. Quality advice. <laughs> Solid friendship making advice, right? Don't bite your friends, that's obvious, right? But as kids, you know, you need to learn these things. You don't bite people that you wanna call your friends. You know, anyone else is fine, but not your friends. And, and you know, it, it's because friendship mattered when you were kids. When you were in kindergarten, everybody wanted you to have friends. Even in grade school, high school, even through college, like everybody wanted to make sure you were making friends. Your parents would ask you, you know, made any friends? You know, got any new friends at school or whatever? And it was a priority. And it should be a priority when you're young to, to make new friends and, and uh, you know, be a good friend. But, but uh, you know, and if you don't have friends, people worry about you when you're young. But something happens, something shifts, doesn't it? After college, in your 20s and beyond, nobody ever tells you it's important to have friends. Nobody ever asks you, did you make any new friends this week? <laughs> that would be weird, right? If someone asked you that uh, in your 20s and beyond. What's more is that nobody ever tells you how to be a good friend in your 20s and beyond. Because I think we have the mentality that friendship, platonic friendship, is something you're supposed to grow out of. Friendship is the stuff of kids. Friendship is juvenile. It's the stuff kids worry about. And when you get older, you graduate college, your priorities change. We're, you've been told the lie that when you graduate from college, you're supposed to worry about your job, your career, making good money, supporting a family, or you know, dating to find the one, if you found the one, marriage, and then your, your family is priority one. Especially men have gotten this message that you're not supposed to be worried about friends. 
At least not making new friends. It's okay if you stay in touch with your old friends from high school, but they're all idiots. Like, you need to be making new friends, and no one's telling you to. No one's telling you how to. No one's telling you it's even important. And, uh, you know, the, the, that's the message that we've gotten, is that friendship is for kids, and grown-ups focus on work and family, especially men have uh, gotten this message. And that message has come loud and clear from the church. As I said, I've never preached a sermon on friendship, because we've always given people this linear equation for the hierarchy of your relationships. You always come last. You know, God comes first, and then there's family, and then there's others. And then you. And I guess you could say that friends fit into this others category, but that's a pretty big category. That's everyone. <laughs> you're saying your closest friends are going to be the same kind of priority to you as, you know, the stranger on the street who needs a nickel or like random acts of kindness or people that you would call acquaintances, coworkers. That's all others. Where do friends fit into this? But this, if you grew up in church, this is what you were told. It means to be a Christian grown up. These priorities for your relationships right here, okay? That's not a biblical view of relationships at all. A, a, a biblical view of relationships does not take this linear kind of approach. A biblical view of Christian relationships says, let's put Jesus at the center of this thing, and your relationship to Jesus is at the center of your lives, and as an outpouring of your relationship to Jesus, there are other relationships that take on equal you know, levels of, of importance as an outpouring of your love for Jesus. So yeah, there's home life, there's you know, wife, husband, whatever, family. But there's also friendships with Jesus. There's connections with those who are uh, in need, those who are outcast. Very important relationships. There's, you know, uh, family and coworkers and things like that. But all of it flows out of your relationship with Jesus. But what we've told people in the church is that really all that matters, I mean, really, if you're really honest, if you listen to what preachers like me say, and the sermon series we choose to preach, I've done like 15 sermon series on marriage. And this is my first on friendship. What we really tell people is that God and family matter and nothing else does. But what's ironic is, if you take that approach, uh, then what, what happens is, free of Christian friends who hold you accountable, your relationship with God is inevitable to suffer. Is it ever going to suffer? If, if you have no friends to, to make you honest and keep your feet on the ground, your relationships with your wife, your husband, your family, they're going to suffer. Your relationship with your kids is going to suffer without honest friends in your life that you're growing closer to. So in this circular model, I included a chart of this on your study guides. You can draw arrows from Jesus out to those other relationships because Jesus makes those relationships go. But I'm telling you, it works the other way as well. Because when you have solid relationships that are founded on the love of Christ, then that makes your relationship with Jesus stronger too. So it's kind of a two-way street. It's nonlinear. It's not what you were taught in vacation Bible school. But that's a biblical understanding of uh, relationships. Now, it's not just the church that has shortchanged friendship. Uh, it's also culture, it's science. Social science has shortchanged friendships. You've seen all the studies and things that are done about different kinds of relationships. Uh, you've read about these studies in BuzzFeed or wherever you get your quality news from. 
Um, and uh, I saw this study recently where they did a study of the studies of relationships, right? So over the last 20 years, they studied all of the scientific studies they've done about human relationships. And what they found was that for every one study they've done on, on adult friendships, they've done 100 studies on marriage and parenting. And so they have completely left out uh, any emphasis on human friendships, making new friends. And so whether it's in the church or in a lab, there's just this bias against friendship. I think that's wrong. I'm going to call that out in this series. And I just want to kind of lay it out there um, like, like, uh, like I don't think we've ever heard before. I think there are three reasons why we have this bias against friendship. I think it's very simple. I think, first of all, we are overextended. We are all too busy. Obvious point, must be said. We get too involved in too many different things. And I know we blame it on our jobs or the traffic or whatever, and jobs are what they are. We're stuck in traffic jams for 75 hours a year in Houston. That's documented. But a lot of it we do to ourselves. Parents, we don't, we don't have to sign our kids up for three soccer leagues you know, at the same time. Like Our kids will still love us, and they won't end up on Dr. Phil if they're not in Taekwondo and karate this season, right? You pick one or the other, you know what I mean? Like we do a lot of it to ourselves if we're really honest. Um, guys, we don't have to play three fantasy football leagues every year. And I know I've just lost half the guys in the room. Women just come back by yourselves next week or whatever, you know, but like guys, we don't, we don't need to do that to ourselves. We can cut things out so that we're not so overextended. We do it to ourselves a lot of the time. Second thing that happens is that friendships are inconvenient. By their very nature, friendship is inconvenient. And it requires things of you. It requires investment. It's not a one-way street. Friends, real friends, will require your time, your energy, your money oftentimes. Your, uh, some of you are like, he knows my friends. <laughs> some, uh, so anyway, uh, some friends need more money than others. Um, so friendships are inconvenient and they pull from you. And if you are already depleted because of this, then you're going to feel like you have nothing left to give and your friends, you're going to feel like a failure as a friend and you're going to stop trying. And third, friendships, unlike marriage or parenting, friendships are not binding. You walk away from your spouse, you're going to need a lawyer. Get a divorce, you'll take a, a credit hit. Your finances will be a mess. You know, uh, there's a lot less paperwork involved to walk away from a friend. It's a lot easier to walk away from a friend. There's no shame or social stigma around leaving a friend high and dry like there would be around divorce. You know, even if you get divorced for biblical reasons, adultery or abuse or things like that, there's still gonna be people, you know, kind of holding you accountable or maybe, you know, even shaming you. That's not great, but that happens. But you leave friends, not a big deal, right? If you abandon your children, they will hunt you down. They will garnish your paycheck and throw you in jail for not paying child support. Abandon your friends, and everybody's like, all right, well, I guess he unfriended him on Facebook. Like, that's it. You know, like, that's the worst that it gets. And it's, in the church, it's the same way. Like, you get a divorce as a Catholic person, they will never serve you communion again. But you can go to Mass and sit in the pew behind your best friend 
And he could be dying of a heart attack, and on the way to communion, you take the Rolex off his arm and just walk by, and they will serve you communion when you get to the front of the, of the, of the aisle, right? Because that's just the way it works. We prioritize uh, family and marriage over friendship. It's sad but true, um, because friends are much easier to leave behind, and that's just what uh, happens. There are just no consequences for walking away from friendship. I have a, a guy that I talk to sometimes. He's a therapist. We go to lunch, and I'll pick his brain. He's uh, been a therapist for over 30 years, uh, counseling mostly couples. His name is uh, Dr. Kelton uh, Rotrock, and he works near here. Tons of experience, tons of wisdom. And he always tells me that the people that he uh, counsels almost always follow the same script. And it's very sad and kind of cliched, especially with men, because it's almost, almost always men that initiate or act out some of the problems. Now, the problems could be shared, but it's almost always the men that acts out in a way that brings them to counseling. And it's almost always follows one of the same two or three scripts. And he says, it's just really sad and pathetic to see men following the same path and not really seeing the pitfalls and things like that. And, you know, it almost always starts with some kind of an emptiness, some kind of an unfulfillment in the man's life. And he can't really put a finger on it. And so he blames his wife for feeling empty on the inside. And then he tries to fill that emptiness out of his resentment uh, with other women or some other kind of vice or something like that. And their, their marriage falls apart, you know. And I asked Dr. Rotrock, I was like, what, what are the common denominators here that keep men out of trouble? When uh, men are respected in the community and they stay married and they stay faithful to their wives, faithful to Jesus, like, what's the common denominator here? Like, are, are the men who mess up, do they always have fathers that cheated, you know? I was looking for some kind of a common thread that I could talk to other guys about. I was like, you know, are their wives, are these men's wives, when they cheat, are their wives always kind of cold and distant? And he was like, nope, that's not it, nope, that's not it. I was like, what is the common denominator for men who get it right? And he said, without a moment's hesitation, same gendered friends, male friends. Guys need friends who hold them accountable, pick them up, and help steer them clear from temptation and the pitfalls that inevitably come men's ways. And women, you're the same way. You need same-gendered friends just as much as men do. Women, you tend to do it a little better on average than men do. Like, you're just more naturally wired to seek that out. Not all of you. Some of you are very lonely, and we got to work on this during this series. But men especially need Friends, male friends. He said the best way for a man to be healthy, married, and respected is through strong friendships with other men. Are you listening, guys? And we're not talking about those guys your wife hates that just make you more immature and hold you back. Y'all know who I'm talking about, too. I see it in your faces. We're not talking about those guys. This is not, Pastor Eric's not telling you to go play poker with the guys tonight, all right? Don't get in the car on the way home and tell your wife that you hear what the preacher said. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about men who pick you up, men who love Jesus as much or more than you do, men who make you better. These are the kinds of male friends we're talking about, and the Bible kind of corroborates this. Being a good friend in Scripture, is as important as being a good husband, a good wife, a good spouse. Being good at friendship is as important as being good at parenting. 
You wouldn't think it by what churches talk about today, but friendship took a much higher position in the Bible, in the Bible times than it does today. And what we're finding is that science is beginning to backfill some of what the Bible's been saying for generations, and scientific studies are coming around saying, you know what? <clears throat> Marriage is fine, dating is good, and romance or whatever, parenting is great, but the one thing that changes people's lives more than anything else is quality friendships. Quality friendships <clears throat> change your life for the better. Quality friendships will help you fight things you wouldn't even imagine they would help you with. Scientific studies are being produced now that are giving us information like three quality friends who eat right will help you avoid obesity and be healthier. You're five times more likely to be healthier if your friends are healthy. The Bible's been saying this since the Proverbs were written, but this is, this is something that we need to remember. Um, quality friendships save marriages. Quality friendships improve your career. You're more likely to enjoy your job and work harder at your job if you have at least one quality friend that you look forward to being with on your way to work every day. Friendships do more for your health than any supplement will do, than any exercise regimen will do, than any, and I'm not saying all that stuff's bad. Do that stuff, but do it with friendships as well as part of your uh, life. The anti-aging industry is a multi-billion dollar industry, but two or three friends will slow the aging process faster than any anti-aging cream or ointment or anything that you would get. Um, it also, uh, friendships prolong your life. Uh, friendships, people who have close friends uh, get sick less. People who have close friends, if Alzheimer's runs in your family and you're worried about the onset of dementia in your older age, quality friendships will, uh, will delay the onset of your family-related dementia. It's incredible. Some of you are fighting depression. We've been talking about depression a lot at the story lately because of you know, the brother that we lost to depression. And studies are showing that while medication is good, friendship is better. And it's not that you shouldn't take Zoloft anymore, but I'm telling you, two or three friends are better than Zoloft. Together, it's really great. Do both, you know? Um, but sometimes we just rely on our uh, medication when uh, friendships could also help us along the way. So uh, science is finally catching up to scripture. So guys, what I want to say with this series is that friendship is not something you should have ever grown out of. Friendship isn't something you should have ever matured, passed, or moved beyond. And if you're a single person, if you're a single Christian and you're dating, and you think you find the one on the dating scene and you fall head over heels, don't abandon your friends because you think you found someone special. It's one of the worst mistakes that you could possibly make. You need their objectivity when your heads are in the clouds, right? Like you need them to keep your feet on the ground when you're completely head over heels crazy about this person who they know is bad for you. Like, don't abandon your friends during a season of, of dating. Like, if that person is the one, he or she needs to know that you love your friends. They're going to be a part of your life. It's very important when you're dating. If you're married, if you're married and you're Christian and trying to figure out marriage, and you're struggling maybe, if you want to give your marriage a boost, make a deal on the way home to spend more time separately with your friends groups, your friends that are good for you, 
spend more time with those people separately because that's one of the keys to a healthier, happier, longer-lasting marriage is spending time with Christian friends outside of, uh, of the marriage. The problem is we get married thinking it's going to be a cure-all. We get married thinking marriage is a replacement for your friendship, and it, wasn't never, it was never intended to be that. And we've been unfair to our spouses, many of us, because we thought they were supposed to meet all of our needs. So, all right. Uh, so, um, as we talk about friendship, I think it's important that we delineate between friends and acquaintances. I'm calling acquaintances fans for this series because fans are just people that like you, people that you like, people that you like hanging around, but they're not really, by definition, your friends. When I talk about friends, I'm talking about the inner circle of your friendships, right? Jesus had 12 disciples. He had three with whom he had an inner circle. And I'm hoping through this series you will define that inner circle, that you will know who those true friends are. How do you define a true friend versus just a fan? What is the difference. Biblically, the difference is this, that fans just kind of show off for each other and friends show up for each other. Fans show off and friends show up. Many of you know Father Abraham. Abraham was uh, uh, in Genesis, the book of Genesis. He's the father of three major world religions. He's the father of Judaism. Judaism <clears throat> claims like 15 million uh, adherents today in the world. He's the father of Islam, and the Muslim faith claims 1.7 billion. He's father of Christianity, and uh, Christianity claims 2.2, 2.3 billion. So that we all look back at Abraham and go, Father Abraham, which would make you think that Abraham was some kind of a hero, like he was some kind of a super amazing, faithful guy. But Abraham was none of those things. Abraham was an ordinary guy. Abraham was kind of a coward. He had some character flaws. He had some issues. But there was one thing that set Abraham apart. Even though he was busy, even though when his story picks up in Genesis 12, he's a young adult trying to make his way in the world, forging a career, right? He's taking up the family business. His dad's depending on him. He's a newlywed. His wife is having trouble getting pregnant, and so they're going to that fertility clinic like every other week. It's just a nightmare. And he's trying to, to create a future for him and his family. He's got all this going on, and then God calls him in Genesis 12. And God says, Abraham, I need you. And Abraham says, for what? And God says, I can't tell you now. I'll tell you when I see you. I need you. Come to me, Abraham. And Abraham goes, okay, where do I go? And God's like, I don't know. I'll tell you. Just pack a bag and start walking, and I'll, just, I'll text you the, the pinpoint of where to meet me. And, and so Abraham, two words in Genesis. After God says this, even though Abraham all, has all this other stuff going on that should be occupying his time by our own cultural standards, there's two words in Genesis that says, Abraham went. Abraham went. When God needed him, Abraham went. James chapter 2 talks about this. James is Jesus' blood brother, half-brother, I guess. And James talks about Abraham's faith and what it meant for Abraham's life. And here, here's James's explanation. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by his works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? 
You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was brought to completion by his works. Thus the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and Abraham was called the friend of God. No one else in the Old Testament had this level of standing with God. And it wasn't because Abraham was really holy. He wasn't a great preacher. He didn't, like, go to church every week or, you know, do awesome things. It's just that Abraham showed up. Abraham showed up for God. And that is what friends do. When they're needed, friends show up. Abraham showed up, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Fans show off. Friends show up. This is where we're confused, guys. My age and younger especially, people are confused about friendship. We've watered it down. We've weakened the word itself. And we think that social media friends are really friends. Social media has wrecked us, man. In terms of our relationships, real life relations, I know there's good things. I'm not a stick in the mud about this and, you know, all that stuff. I, I've even come around and, like, uh, you know, I'm okay with Snapchat now. I once preached a sermon all against Snapchat. I'm okay with it. Whatever. You know, it's fine. But, but when it comes to real authentic friendships, I think we have missed the point. I have 3,442 Facebook friends. And you all probably have... A lot of Facebook friends, too. I mean, not as much as me. I mean, I'm not bragging or anything, but, um, but it's not a competition. It's not a competition. Don't feel bad. But I have 3,400 friends. And I was, uh, was traveling this week, and I was flying, and I was getting ready mentally for this series, you know, and I was going through my list of friends on Facebook. And my, my thought process was, <clears throat> who on this list would I call if it all hit the fan? And my life was turned upside down. Who from my list of friends would I really call? One guy I heard on a movie once, he said, uh, the way you know who your true friends are is if your wife gets mad and kicks you out of the house, locks you out of the house at two in the morning and you don't have keys, uh, who do you call? And uh, that got me thinking. That got me thinking, you know, um, because I was, I was going through my friends list, I'm like, who, who, who would I make that call to? That's especially tricky when both of you, your wife and you, are pastors. Because <clears throat> nobody wants to get that call from their pastor. Uh, because that just makes everything weird, right? Sunday mornings, right? You know too much, that kind of thing. Um, and so I'm like, who would I call in that situation, right? Out of my 3,442 3, friends, I identified three people I would make that call to. Three. I wasn't sad about it. That's just reality. Like this, my three inner circle friends, all right? And one of those is my wife. So in that particular scenario, like, I'm left with two, right? <laughs> and neither one of them live in town. And so if any of y'all ever see a sad, pale, white guy walking around Montrose in his underwear at 2 a.m., you know, well, you probably wouldn't even notice. That's just Montrose. <laughs> so um, that's a Tuesday in Montrose, right? But... You get what I'm saying? But here's the thing. We all like friendship in theory. We all believe in friendship. But believing in friendship is not enough. Do you show up is the question when it comes to friendship. Because doing the hard work of friendship, that's where we start to miss the mark a little bit. Abraham was a friend of God because he dropped everything he had going on 
and he went. And as you think about your life and throughout this series, but especially just right now, I want you to be real honest with yourself for a minute and answer this, like, is there someone in your life who if you called, they would drop everything, even if they were in the busiest moment of their life, most important day at work, whatever, they would drop it and come running for you? Obviously, as someone who loves you, I hope your answer is yes, and you can immediately pull up a few names. My fear is that about half of us are hesitating and mildly depressed about our lack of an answer. Part of it's on other people. Part of it's on us. Because my follow-up question to you then, if you're hesitating there, and I don't mean this in a judgmental way, but is there someone for whom you would drop everything and go running? Really? Not in theory, not pie in the sky, really. You're at work, it's a big day, you're up for promotion, and someone calls, do you go? The truth is, if you don't have an inner circle, it's not always because you're too busy or other people, whatever. A lot of times, there are people in your life who would love to be in your inner circle, but you've pushed them out. Because you've been so busy, you've given them the impression that they need you more than you need them. And you warm down. You warm out. And, uh, and you lost that uh, opportunity to be friends. It is a, it is a two-way um, street with uh, friendship. There's reciprocation. John chapter 15, uh, Jesus kind of shows us uh, how this works. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And what this means is just loving one another. Jesus says, you're friends of God, you're friends of Jesus, if you learn to love one another, not up here, but with your actions. Not just with your words, with what you do. He says, that is how we become friends of God. In other words, we believe that everyone is a child of God. We are all children of God based on who we are. God made us. But only some of us are friends of God because you're friends of God based on what you do with your life how you're there for God, how you're there for other people, how you invest and, and love other people. We think about John 15 and where Jesus says, no one has greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. And we think in terms of the crucifixion, and we think that means just being willing to die for people. And, you know, it's one of those things where we're like, yeah, I'd die for you. You know, I'd, you tell your girlfriend, guys, you know, I'd die for you. And you play the Ryan Adams song, and, you know, I just, you're like, I'd die for you, you know, and, and you probably wouldn't. But that's okay. That's fine. But that's not all it means to lay down your life. To lay down your life for your friends could mean dying for them, but it could also mean not going to the game that you wanted to go to. It could also mean dropping a day of work, even when it's an intense time at work. You might risk some profitability for yourself. When someone needs you, you show up. It could mean doing something that makes you uncomfortable, going someplace that makes you uncomfortable to be there for your friend. Buying gifts for someone else instead of spending just on yourself all the time. Laying down your life for your friends could mean a lot of different things. This is basically the heart of the gospel, guys. This is the heart of the gospel. That Jesus came to, to make us friends, to call us friends. 
And we get to respond with our own selfishness and go our own way, or we can respond as friends. Some of you know that we've been involved in some, um, been starting to get involved in some prison ministry, and we, we waited to decide, we waited to decide how to get involved in missions and service <clears throat> for a few months after we launched because we wanted to make sure it was something y'all were passionate about. And there are hearts all across this room and in this community that are catching on fire for prison ministry. And we sent our first small group of guys last weekend to Lynchner Jail. And these guys all have wives. They've all got incredibly busy jobs. Some of them have kids. And they gave their whole weekend. Y'all know how, how precious weekends are. And they gave it all for a whole weekend to be together and to be with the inmates at Lynchner. Now, none of these guys are heroes. I love all of them, but none of them are that special. I mean, they're just guys, you know? They're, they're, there's nothing. They don't have a special set of skills. They're not Liam Neeson up here. Like, these are just guys, regular, everyday guys. But they lay down their lives, and something clicked. Something changed, and it was the beginning of something that's going to change this whole church. I want to share with you some words that one of these guys wrote about this experience. He said, starting last Friday, we knew each other, had varying levels of friendship with one another, but we were by no means close. Today, it's a different story. These guys are my brothers. I couldn't be happier to say that, and I'm so impressed by how much we've grown together in the last week. That said, there's another part of this family, our brothers in white. We might be separated by razor wire and sally ports at times, but those guys are my family. It's strange to say it out loud, but I feel at home inside Pam Lynchner's state jail more than almost all other places. Maybe it's because I can be with my brothers there. I honestly don't know. What I do know is I got to see my brothers in white today for the first time in a week, and last night I couldn't sleep, not from an overabundance of rest, but from excitement, the excitement of being reunited. Why does this conversation matter? Why does it feel like you're back in kindergarten? Because you've been told a lie, and many of you have bought it, that to be a successful, mature adult is to go it alone, is to be self-sufficient, fulfill all your own needs. It's a lie straight from the devil. And it will take you down some pretty hellacious roads. And as your pastor, I want you to know you were never wired or meant to live your life that way. You were meant to be surrounded by the love of Jesus and by the love of friends who love Jesus. And that is the only way to live a life worth living. And the only way to have that life is to be willing to lay down your own life to get it. I know it's not easy to think about, but I want to just give you this challenge today to consider one person, one friend who needs you to invest in them. Maybe it was somebody who tried to be your friend before and you kept them at arm's length. Go out of your way somehow to invest time, energy, attention in them this week. Will it be easy? No. You have to say no to something else to do it. But I'm telling you, the return on this investment will be like nothing else. Your whole life changes when you have this inner circle protecting you. Your whole life changes. You become a better Christian, a better person, a better father, a better husband, a better student, a better daughter, a better son, a better wife. 
You become a healthier person, a stronger person. When the storm winds of life blow and they lay you off this week, you will not be knocked down because there's a group of people supporting you, loving you through it. This matters because friendship isn't something we should have left behind in kindergarten. Friendship today is a matter of life and death. The life and death of your soul, maybe the life and death of your marriage, the life and death of the life you're living right now. Jesus came to call you friends. I pray that your response is friendship with Jesus, but that it doesn't end there, that you choose to get connected. And if you're new to Houston, or if you're a new Christian and you don't, never had a Christian friend before, or if you just are all alone, don't leave this place today without talking to somebody in leadership, a staff person or a leader at the hospitality desk to get you connected to other people who will be your friends and support you. There's nothing that matters more than that.